Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined today by John Finkel, uh, the author of 1996, A Biography. Reliving the legend-packed, dynasty-stacked, most iconic sports year ever. Uh, John is the author of Hoops Heist, The Life of Dad, The Athlete, uh, Heart Over Height, Mean Joe Green, and more. Uh, he's written for GQ, Men's Health, Yahoo Sports, and The New York Times. He lives in South Florida with his wife and two kids. Uh, thank you for being on the show today, John. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Uh, so this is not a sports show. Uh, this is a movie show. And the, the reason the reason we, we have you on the show today is to talk about the year in sports movies in 1996 and kind of sports, uh, sports and movies more generally. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get your take as somebody who has interacted with a lot of athletes and uh, and, and athlete adjacent types um, and what they, they think of sports movies and kind of the depiction of sports. Uh, on on the big screen, but let's let's talk about 1996 first. What this is a very weird year because we have the last two great golf movies both both came out in this year. Yeah, two uh, of the holy me. trinity of golf movies came out in 1996. It's it's one of those years where when I looked at uh, the original idea, you know, as a writer, you kind of just have these notebooks open. I'm sure you have them where you just jot down ideas, and some of them under like these umbrellas end up having more and more large, the umbrella gets larger and the ideas come together. And for me, like the athletes that, you know, had big years and came to fruition in 1996 were huge. But for me as a, as a movie buff and all that, as I'm going through it, I start remembering all the movies that were kind of out in my, in my brain, you know, you sort of like, did that come out around 96? And, and is it 96? And then as you get closer, uh, you start realizing like I'm listing all the movies that came out in 1996. Right. And so when I start really thinking about them, I realize like, this is, this is like a quintessential movie year as well. Yeah. I mean, it's so the, the two movies in question, of course, are uh, Happy Gilmore, uh, the Adam Sandler comedy and Tin Cup, the Kevin Costner uh, drama, sports drama, romantic comedy, I think we could call it. Yeah. Um, and I, I have I, my personal connection to Tin Cup is that I worked for a summer in a in a on a golf course, basically in a pro shop, you know, as as the assistant to the the assistant pros right and right. that movie was on a loop tin cup tin cup was always on it was just like the thing that was on in the pro shop that people would come in and watch like 10 minutes of and and leave before they hit, hit back out on the course uh, it, it, it 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 is weirdly the most accurate depiction of golf life i think i've ever seen yeah yeah it's funny when you look back on it when i think of tin cup and happy gilmore together one of the things that i've said is like if i just told you now like next year we're gonna do two golf movies and they're going to have these following A-listers in them, you know, Kevin Costner and Rene Russo, and Adam Sandler and Cheech Marin. And just for fun, we're going to throw in Don Johnson and Carl Weathers. And like, as you're going through this, you think, what? What are these movies? How would they throw golf into them, right? And I think the reason Tin Cup worked is because, you know, Costner, natural athlete, you know, for the love of the game, Bull Durham, like he just... He looks like an athlete. He looks like the kind of the best version of these athletes. His, his swing was was legitimate. You know, he he went and practiced. I don't think he got down to be a scratch golfer, but he worked with Corey Pavin and other PGA players to get on there. But because it was just that feel, he was the underdog. He looked and felt like the guy that if any of the duffers out who golf on the weekends managed to have that run where they maybe got to the PGA Tour, he looked and felt like what we all felt like we might feel if we made it onto the tour. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the flip side of the coin here is Happy Happy Gilmore, which is very, it's the least realistic golf movie 
in in a lot of ways. But I think it's also it's also kind of beloved by golfers, is it not? I mean, I I know as as somebody again who has spent some time on golf courses, I, I feel like it is a movie that is generally uh, generally well well liked. Yeah, I mean, it's actually quote. I think if you go to the quotes, if you do like, a, and, and I did this when I wrote the book, like. If you line the quotes up from, you know, Caddyshack, which is probably still just the go-to number one, but like you said, the Holy Trinity is Caddyshack, Happy Gilmore, and Tin Cup. If you go quote for quote, Happy Gilmore is right there. Uh, go to your home, you know, go by the bay, like all the Shooter McGavin lines that he says. Uh, if you go and line them up and think of the things he says, it's actually, it's like round for round, punch for punch with Caddyshack. I think it's just Caddyshack's been around longer, but I think... The demo, right, of, of, of the guys who grew up watching in 96, high school, college guys who now actually maybe have time to golf and their kids are old enough where you can get out a little more than you'd like. Happy Gilmore is our movie, right? Like Caddyshack, the first time I saw it was, you know, slapstick humor from when I was seven or eight. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize uh, it's like my dad and my uncle and the, the older generation of my family were like planting Easter eggs for, for all the Caddyshack lines. I didn't realize I was in college watching it again. That half the lines, you know, oh, it looks good on you, though. Those were Caddyshack lines. Right? I didn't know that at the time because, you know, as adults, we just kind of right. quote our favorite movies. And then later on, as, as you're, when you're in your 20s, you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, my uncle wasn't that funny. He's just doing every Rodney Dangerfield line from Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so let's see. We've also got in 1996, The Fan. Yes. Which I think I think it's is I think we could say that's the worst of these movies. We could say that, we, or we could well, say it's the best. We'll we'll get we'll get to, we'll get to the one that I think is actually the worst here in a minute. Uh, but the but the fan. So the fan. I remember seeing the fan not in theaters uh, when it was like first out on you know DVD or VHS or whatever. I guess in ninety ninety seven when it hit blockbuster shelves, and thinking, okay, well this isn't actually a baseball movie. Like that's that's the problem with this movie is that it's not actually a baseball movie. It's it's a movie about a fan. It's a movie about stalking, and it's it, it, it as such. Uh, that's why it doesn't really work, right? I am like the last <laughs> defender of the fan. Okay, I remember I saw the theater. I remember that the, in the trailer they had uh, De Niro's character like on the mound. It's raining. Wesley Snipes is up, but they don't tell you what's happening. And I'm like, well, that I'm seeing that. Okay, I'm in. I'm in for this, no matter what's happening. And then in the theater, it just gets more and more absurd. You're you're correct. It is not a baseball movie, except for that. 80% of the movie takes place in a baseball diamond with somebody wearing a baseball uniform talking about baseball. And to me, especially as a dad, I, I watched it again, well, obviously when I was researching this movie. And there's a scene in this movie, which you're a dad, I know, you'll understand this. They really ratchet up, like, but, you know, De Niro's character is, for those who don't know, like the most psychotic Giants fan ever. His team trades for, at the time, like a Bobby, you know, Bobby, a Barry Bond stand-in. His character's named Bobby Rayburn. He's played by, you know, Willie Mays Hayes, Wellesley Snipes. Super duper star gets there. It's a huge deal. Now De Niro takes his kid to the game. Who his well, he and his wife are divorced. He's he's a psycho. Like he's shown hints in the movie of him already being a psycho. At this game, he's like he's under fire at work. He's a knife salesman of all things, and he has to go. His boss calls him right before he goes. He's got to go do a uh, like a pageant presentation for work, and he leaves his like nine year old at the stadium and like rushes out and is like, "Here's a hot dog. Here's a, here's a drink. I'll be right back." And dude, the, as a dad, the anxiety there of him just like walking away from, you know, walking out of a packed candlestick park at the time with his nine-year-old like almost in tears in the stands. I couldn't watch it. Like I couldn't believe how psycho this guy was. So it's, you're right. It's a more psycho movie. But once you get to that level of how crazy this guy is, 
the baseball craziness stuff because there's like a Colin sports show that he calls into. He gets involved with the agent with you know John Leguizamo. Like it's all in on the baseball universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it is weird. Like the sports is kind of inherently cinematic in a way. Right. You've got you've got your your heels and your faces. Right. You've got your good guys, your bad guys. You've got your uh, you've got your winners and losers. I mean, it's it is a a sports game, uh, you know, is is in 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 its own way, its own little story. And, And that is one reason. Uh, why they get turned into things like Space Jam, which is the worst movie in this book. I lie, <laughs> not the fans. Space Jam. Now I am a, I am one of these people who uh, looks at my generation of you know the millennials and and just scratches my head every time Space Jam comes up as like a touchstone uh, film. It is it is treated as like basically the Caddyshack of of people you know my age and a little little younger. Explain to me why I'm wrong, because I get the sense from reading your book that you like it a little more than I do. Well, I'm going to say this. So I was 18 uh, when Space Jam came out. So I was like, oh, cartoons are lame, you know, kind of that age. But in order to understand the context of why this is important, you have to be right at the moment of where Michael Jordan was a god. He was the closest thing you were going to ever see to a god. He was the most popular, charismatic, exciting athlete we ever had. And leading into Space Jam, and this is why I'm going to tell you Space Jam is actually brilliant more brilliant than you think it is uh an execution i'm not saying the screenplay but an execution <laughs> so leading into the space jam michael jordan left no, no one had ever you know no one had ever done this no one knew why at the time his dad passed away he wins the title he used to go play baseball so like there's no equivalent of this in baseball now there's nobody even close in basketball maybe i don't even know steph curry's already too old like the number one athlete of of of, of the world basically leaves his favorite leaves his best sport to go play minor league baseball um, so he disappears. He comes back in late 1995 for a, a, a like ill-fated playoff run with the Bulls. And then that next year, he comes in, 96, you know, through 95 into 96, and has the 7-2-10. Everybody saw the last dance season. Wins the championship. He's back on top. Jordan's back on top. You know, starts the season the next year. Can he repeat? Can he do all this stuff? And in, this, in the winter of that, in that, you know, in that holiday season, Space Jam comes out. <laughs> the reason Space Jam resonates so well is... Because they took the plot of Jordan's real life, whether or not he loved basketball, why he lost the love of basketball, and worked it into the open of the movie. He's playing baseball. They, the movie opens where they need to steal an item from his room. And why isn't he playing basketball? Will he play basketball? The guys are trying to get him to play basketball. And then obviously with Toontown, everything happens and they need to get Michael Jordan to go play for them. Um, but he hasn't played. Like, we just saw him play. And they worked his real biography all the way from UNC to the Bulls to the Birmingham Barons into the movie. And so whether or not it's a great movie or not, I think the real issue is that's why we all connected with it. We grew up mm-hmm. with Jordan being amazing. We were flummoxed when he lent to you know play baseball. We were the tunes basically in this movie. Like, come on, Mike, come play with us. Come play with us. And then it was our beloved cartoon characters growing up, Bugs and Daffy and, and, you know, and all those characters. So... That's why it's beloved. I can't argue whether it's a great movie. It's clearly all over the place. The script was rewritten daily as they were doing it. Yeah. Um, on the sports side, I can tell you some stories about why it was, you know, it's become mythical in the filming of it. Um, but you had Bill Murray, you had Larry Bird, you had you know, Bugsy Bogues, you had Patrick Ewing, you had all these guys. You had Charles Barkley, you know, losing their basketball powers and being doofuses on the court. But really, the appeal is is really an emotional one. 
Yeah. No, it's certainly look. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take away people's nostalgia. Let's talk a little bit about some of the stories about Space Jam because it is an interesting confluence again of sports and Hollywood and the business of all of this. Yeah. I mean, the the reason that Space Jam exists is because somebody was like, all right, let's let's synergize here. Let's get let's get basketball and Hollywood together and make something you know that combines the two most popular things in America <laughs> yeah. right now. Uh, so talk, talk, can you talk a little bit about that and like the, and and some of the, and some of the stories about the athletes who were just like showing up at this, you know, basically on set to like play pickup ball. Yeah. That's the coolest part. I'll get into that in a second. One of the, the the reason the the movie came about is because there was, there was a commercial that Nike did with, with Air Jordan, obviously Michael Jordan and Hair Jordan. Bugs Bunny, where they were playing basketball, and, and and you know, it was almost like I'm sure somebody said this is a test case for a movie, but in the beginning, it was just a cool, you know, a cool mashup between an athlete and you know, probably behind Mickey Mouse, maybe Bugs is uh, what top, top five cartoon character. We'll call it. Sure, if we're, if we're, sure. we're not going to we're not going to diss Bugs, and the, the the commercial was a hit, and so you know, we'd already seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so there was a, there was a play, you know, there was a playbook for how to get the real life and animation together. And they basically came up with this idea of what if this became an animated movie? And could we sustain this for, could we have a reason, a plot to do this? And could we sustain it? And so one of my favorite little anecdotes I uncovered when I was writing it was, they didn't even know what to call it. They had no idea. They basically were calling it Bugs Bunny, Michael Jordan movie, or one of the other, <laughs> Warner Brothers. Yeah. And there's a there's a great, uh, a great anecdote in one of the oral histories that I found where, so they were on the room, they're trying to figure out how they're going to market this, that they're behind on the script, they're behind on everything. They didn't have a title, you know, the, the, our marketing team's like, we need a title, we can't even do anything about announcing this without a title. And so um, they wrote, when, when they were putting the meeting together on the, on the cover of the script, uh, they just wrote up in the air, the title's up in the air, we don't know yet, right? So the secretary gets the copy and she's been under the gun from the marketing team to like spread, you know, disseminate the information. So she goes out and puts out a, a company-wide announcement you know, thankfully no one's going to bother me anymore. We have a title. It's called Up in the Air. Here's the movie. Here's what we're going to go through. So everybody walks into the meeting and half the people are relieved. Great. Up in the Air makes total sense. Great title. Jordan flies. Air Jordan, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the big wigs comes out and goes, no, you morons. The title, we were saying that the title itself is Up in the Air. We don't know. Not that the title is Up in the Air. So they yeah. literally were moving along on this movie with no idea what to call it or how to market it. <laughs> Uh, that's great. That is that's a very classic Hollywood uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, story. And then so and then on set, of course, they like built a they built essentially a little mini stadium for Jordan. Yeah, it was really cool. So everybody, you know, people who are listening are who are basketball fans. They had the bubble last year, right? That they did for the quarantine, and they played the NBA playoffs in a bubble. But the first actual. Uh, basketball NBA bubble was built for Michael Jordan on the Warner Brothers lot. So they filmed it in the uh, in the summer. Um, they filmed it obviously in his off season. His 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 stipulations were basically, I'll do whatever you need. You have me for I think the shoot was two months or two and a half months, whatever it was over the summer. Um, but I need a court, I need a gym, and I need easy access to it. I don't want to be sitting in LA traffic. I don't want to be driving around like it's got to be on the lot. So they took over this giant parking space area, built one of those like you know air tent bubbles over it, put a full weight room along one side, a full court and a half on the other side, and basically Jordan was just taking his golf cart between the golf course, which we all know he golfs you know a ton, the shoot you know soundstage, and then the uh, the, the bubble, and this bubble became. You know, if this was if there was if it was now, there would have been a show called The Bubble with social media and pickup games and all that. But why I think it's grown in the mythology in the sports world is because for that summer, 
it was basically like an all-star game every single night. You had all the, the cast of the, sh- of the movie who were in it, Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley and Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson playing with Jordan. But then all the young UCLA players, you know, you had Reggie Miller there, Dennis Rodman showed up, Pippen came down, um, you know, Barkley had brought his friends down, uh, you know, Juwan Howard, all these guys who were in the league coming down to play with Jordan. And uh, there were these epic, epic battles that would go all the way into night. And the most kind of myth- mythic night ever there uh, is when you know Magic Johnson also had his comeback in '96 from his hiatus for having HIV, and there had been rumored and rumored that he was going to come back at some point in time. And while they were filming the movie, he was actually a owner, part owner of the Lakers, which meant he was not allowed under the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, to really have any kind of act, you know interaction with the players during the offseason. So when he decides mm-hmm. he's going to come back, he kind of resigns his 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 ownership stake and shows up. And has like this four-hour battle leading you know his team against Jordan's teams, almost like those dream team mythical games. And so this bubble became like, if you look back and a lot of the, the NBA beat guys that I interviewed who were there, like the stories are endless of what went on there. And it was one of those things that there's no video. Uh, all there are is just sort of the apocryphal Bigfoot type tales of the games that went on there. Yeah, I, it's funny to think about like that existing in modern day with cell phones and everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine the TikToks? Yeah, right. Oh, the guys, would, the guys would show up with their marketing teams. Let's make sure we get a one-on-one with, you know, Steph and LeBron, or let's make yeah. sure Kevin Durant and Kyrie do this together. Or, hey, let, why don't you guys play two-on-two? It'd be good for the camera. Apparently these games, um, you know, because Jordan, the way he was, you know, they were around his shoot schedule. So, you know, there were some nights he might wrap, uh, you know, 10, 11 PM. And these games might go from 12 to four in the morning. It was like, yeah. There was no, uh, there was there was only like a, a, a very loose invite list. Um, you had to know how to get there. You know, he had to let you on the lot so you couldn't just kind of show up. Uh, and it was really, really cool. And the fact that they did this, like you said, under the total cloak of, you know, basically like there was a stealth NBA game happening, you know, where at some point they said um, a third of the NBA All-Stars were in L.A. at one time playing in Jordan's pickup games. It's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so then let's get, let's get to the last movie of 1996 that you highlight uh, here, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is, I think, I think just the best of these, just uh, on a pure filmmaking level. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's also, it's also, you know, the movie that kind of best gets at the business of sports. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that has quite understood the 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 business side of sports uh, as well as this. And you, uh, in in the book, talk a bit about uh, meeting with Drew Rosenhaus. Yeah. Um, and doing wind sprints until you wanted to throw up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but what did what did what did he what did he make of the film and and kind of how that uh, portrayed his side of of the the sports business? Yeah, I, I don't you know. I, I hung out with you that time, and I've, I've had a few interactions with him by interviewing his athletes. So by no means buddies or, or pals or anything. Yeah, yeah. But he he at the time like he a embraced it. Once Jerry Maguire became a big hit, obviously, why would you not embrace you know him and Lee Steinberg? They kind of casually both say they were based on Jerry Maguire. And it's both true. You know, Cameron Crowe has come out and said it was maybe a little more Lee Steinberg. They didn't actually base it on anybody. Um, there was a picture a long time earlier about Brian Bosworth and his agent, and that was where mm-hmm. you know they looked at that picture, uh, James yeah. L. Brooks, and they, you know, that's like that mythology behind that movie was like they looked at the picture and they thought, what is this relationship like? You've got this hot shot, the biggest player in college football coming out. He's relying on this guy to navigate this multi-million dollar world. How do they trust each other? So that's what it came about. From Drew's perspective, I will say, like, his he prides himself on having essentially a familial relationship with his athletes. He he, mm-hmm. he said it. One of the great stories that we talked about was, so yeah, I did the story I did was a, a day in the life type of thing. 
And it was for muscle and fitness at the time, and I'm a bit of a meathead, so I was like, yeah, look, if you're going to work out, I'll work out with you. I'll do whatever. He did. He ran. We went out to this high school in Colo Gables where he lived, you know, near where he lived. It's Florida, summer, 90 degrees on the field, sweating at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're running wind sprints. He's got both, like, truly, whether he did it for the shoot or not, he had two phones on him and a fist and holding another phone. Yeah. And he's like, he's got him divided up on who knows what numbers, however he had it. And we're blasting through the things, and he's telling me, Listen, I could get to know my clients just like all the other agents. We could go to a steakhouse. We could have drinks. But I get to know them right here, and they get to know me. These guys, their body is their, is their, is their career, how hard they work. And they want to see an agent who's going to come out here and sweat with them and do this with them at 6 in the morning way more than a guy who's just going to put together a presentation and take them out to a steak dinner. He's like, yeah, there's steaks. Yeah, there's drinks. Yeah, there's a fancy part of it, of course. But this is why I work out with the guys. This is where we get to know each other. When we're pushing through the last set of gassers in the morning or push-ups, we're in the weight room. And and he was absolutely sincere because every athlete I talked to was like, oh, hell yeah, they all have their workout with Drew. I was in town, went to the gym, went and played basketball. And I, I'm sure other agents do versions of this of themselves and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but for me, when I was talking to him about it, I, I thought it was genuine. And he, he embraced it. And so when you talk about in Jerry Maguire, the, you know, the show me the Quan, all that stuff, like when they became family – he was very much about that. Yeah. Uh, you, so you, you've spent a lot of time talking to athletes and, and interviewing them for books, stories, whatever. I, I'm curious if, if A, the subject of movies and sports ever comes up, and B, what their, what their take on how, how the film industry portrays what they do, uh, what, what that take is. I mean, I, you know, I, I assume that they, they have minor complaints like, well, it doesn't look like he can actually play. Um, or, or other things, but I'm, I'm curious what, what their, what their POV on it is. Yeah. The, that's the first one you just said is like, they love when an actor's cast who can do it. So the best example, uh, is Michael B. Jordan Creed, Creed two. Like I've talked to a lot of athletes about that, mainly from the training side because the soundtrack's good and all that. But like, they love when the actor can ball or can box or can do it. And and, and, and when you really go all out for it and, and, you know, some of the movies, it's hard to show that. Um, and on, you know, on the football side, you know, they're, they're with the ballers and some of these shows, like when you can get an actor who, you know, like, you know, John, you know, Denzel's son, you know, John Day Washington, like he played mm-hmm. college, you know, he played college football. Like, so when you get these guys who actually played and then they can act, there's a lot of respect there. I think the two big areas that I've seen athletes and really sports fans in general mock is the throwing motion. When they cast a quarterback who cannot throw or a pitcher who cannot throw, it's awful. And it's so awful. It's like it takes you completely out of everything going on. And, you know, there's that famous story for any given Sunday where, like, you know, Puff Daddy was supposed to be the, you know, the Jamie Foxx character. Yeah, yeah. But he couldn't throw a football. And, like, he's denied it to this day. But almost all of the non-famous people on that set were like, look, you can't – dude couldn't throw a football 15 yards. He looked like a clown. Jamie Foxx played high school football. He's a natural athlete. He looked great playing it. And I honestly think that's the key. They don't even care about that. If you represent the sport well, then you can pass it off. But that, that's it. They want legitimacy. They want to try. Uh, they want to at least try. From what I've seen in the few – I'm not going to put any you know, athletes that I've talked to about. But I know several of the basketball guys that I've talked to even recently when I was writing uh, Hoops Heist because Creed 2 had come out when I started doing the interviews. Um, and I, I had talked to the trainer for that for Michael B. Jordan and it came up a few different yeah. times. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's friends with a lot of these dudes. But that was the, the, the legitimacy of being able to do the deed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael B. Jordan also like he was so he was on Friday Night Lights, right? The TV show. Yeah. And then Creed, uh, obviously. But he also just I mean, he just looks 
like an athlete. I mean, yeah. he's huge. He's like the the movie without remorse uh, that's out now yeah. is not very good. <laughs> but there's this great scene where he is like getting ready to fight a bunch oh, of guards, I love that scene, yeah. and he's just like he's just like big, and he's like wrapping up his knuckles. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I actually buy this. I buy this. <laughs> I buy him taking on this whole... Yeah. Aside this, this from the whole, fact that he lost no muscle mass after being shot and bedridden for five months. But we'll pass no, that. That. <laughs> no, I, that. That's movie magic. That's movie... We'll, we'll just chalk that up to movie magic. Um, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I've got, I've got some, some quick, some quick uh, quizzes. Sure. Field of Dreams versus Bull Durham. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Now, it, it, Bull Durham is one of those ones where uh, the the if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I watched, but Tim Robbins looked like he could not throw a baseball. That is the big I, knock. On am that. I wrong? No, you're 100 percent correct. He cannot throw a baseball um, at all. His elbow, and I mean, not even I'm not even like a big baseball nerd arm position thing. He just, I mean, my son would look and be like, "What's wrong with his arm? It looks like his arm hurts or it's broken <laughs> or something." Um, I, I'm always I'll ride with, with with Field of Dream. The connection. The, the sentiment, the, the chills you yeah. get, um, that's always going to be up there for me. Bull Durham, yeah. I'll be honest, it, it's okay. I've never loved Bull Durham. It's never been one of my go-to movies. I don't even think it's that I good. Never, I never have either. I'll be I, I, I think it's fine, I, but I am definitely like uh, – Field of Dreams is like top top five dad movie. Yeah. That's, that's, just, okay. that's just what it Field is. Field of Dreams is legendary. Bull Durham's fine. All right. Uh, moving to kids. Sandlot versus Bad News Bears. Sandlot. Sandlot. See, see, this is, I think, this is a function, I think, of our age. I mean, you're, you're, you're a couple years older than me, but I was, I, I'm, I think I was, God, what was I like, twelve when Sandlot came out? Definitely a seminal film. Yeah. For for folks around our, uh, our, our age here. Sandlot. The beauty of Sandlot. Um, I think your kids are younger than mine. Mine are my son's eight. Like, the Sandlot has that thing that I remember Harold Ramis said it about Groundhog Day, where they un, un, like, completely intentionally removed. All pop culture references. They removed anything that could date the movie whatsoever. Consciously, they wanted it to be the kind of movie that at any given time could watch, and there was no need to know about what was happening in the pop culture or larger culture world. You could just watch it, and that's what the Sandlot is. In a world where our kids come home and they want to play an iPad and they want to go on Roblox and they want to do all this technical stuff, my son can sit down and be mesmerized by Benny the Jet. You know, by ham, the jokes work. I mean, I guess probably now some people have a problem if you play ball like a girl, but like the jokes by and large work all the yeah. way through the coming of age stuff, the, the Wendy Peppercorn yeah. thing with the getting the kid, like smalls, like the nicknames, the fun loving, the ribbing the kids at the neighbor, you know, the next door, the kids from the other neighborhood who they have a rivalry against. Like it all worked. It worked when I was 12. It worked when I was 20 and it works for my kid who's nine. And, and that's why I think yeah. it's better. Yeah, it is. It's great. I mean, Bad News Bears is also is also very good. Yeah. Uh, let's. I. I don't want to. I don't want to drag Bad News Bears here, but I. I. I agree. Sandlot. Sandlot better. All right. Uh, moving to basketball. Blue chips versus Hoosiers. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with blue chips. Wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. That's a shocker. That's an upset. I. I have this thing. I have always had this thing, and uh, I don't know if you're going to get the football next, but like some of these giant, like mythical movies that I'm supposed to have loved that came out a little before I was old enough to really see them. I didn't see them in the theater. I saw them on back, you know, HBO or maybe you saw them Blockbuster. Like, hey, we gotta watch Hoosiers. I've, it, whether I'm having a natural like reaction against the movie, like it's good. The the scenes that are supposed to be amazing are amazing. I think it's a little slow. 
I think there's a really weird, like the, the Gene Hackman, the woman, the, the love interest who's not a love interest is bizarre. Um, the basketball's stilted. It's, it's okay. A bunch of white kids and whatever. Blue Chips is like my movie. This is Shaq, Neon Bodeau, like <laughs> Penny Hardaway, like Nick Nolte screaming and exactly yeah. like a pseudo UCLA. Like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will say Hoosiers, but if I said, okay, great, you are forced to sit in this room right now and you have to either watch Blue Chips or Hoosiers, they pick Blue Chips. And I think Hoosiers is like a fake movie to, to say you like more. Wow, that's that is shot shocking. Fired. Shot fired. Shocking, <laughs> shocking turn of events here on Bullworkers Hollywood. Uh, all right, one last. We're gonna do uh, a football. Any given Sunday versus the longest yard. Oh, thank you for saying. Either, either, either longest yard. I'll go with Sandler or Reynolds. Okay, you, I, can, you can pick which one you I, which one you prefer. I like. Man, I now I like the Sandler longest yard. I don't think it was bad. I thought Nelly was good. Michael Irvin was good. Had some of. If they took out as much as I love everything Sandler, if they took out some of the Sandler bits and just made it the movie with real Sandler, I think it would have been better. Um, but any given Sunday is is my my all time. I mean, the program's really good because that was I was in high school playing high school football when the program came out. But any given Sunday, I mean, the six inches in front, I could do the whole speech of Pacino's. Yeah. Like, that's better. And thank you, by the way, for leaving Rudy, like the worst sports movie ever, off this list. I, I don't even <laughs> understand people who like that movie. But yeah, any given Sunday's at the top. I like Rudy fine. <laughs> I like Rudy's a fine movie. Okay, it's, I'll say it's, it's heartwarming. It's, it's you know, fine. it's not. I'll go, we're not going to. Dr- we're not gonna drag Rudy on this show. I'll let you. I'll let you drag Hoosiers. Okay. But, okay. You know, I get one drag. I'll do that. Okay. We we can. <laughs> we all leave that as. Uh, that. All right. Well, the bonus because you you mentioned Sandler. Uh, Sandler longest yard versus the Water Boy. Oh, uh, Water Boy. I mean, Water Boy yeah. is so good. You know what's funny about the Water Boy? It's really short. Like it, it goes by like very fast. Like if you put it on and then maybe like go make some popcorn and like fix something in the other room and come back, like you're already like at the part where he's like maybe not able to play because his mom found out that he's playing. Um, yeah. It's really funny and it's fast and it's easy and it's it, what it is though. It's really it's like an homage to the Three Stooges. It's all slapstick. Like again, I bring up my kids because I end up watching so many you know so many times. I'm thinking I want to sit down and watch a movie and it's like oh well you're gonna watch it with me. Hey you haven't seen Waterboy yet? We'll watch this. Or, you haven't seen Sandlot yet? We'll watch this. So Waterboy kills. Like it's it's just funny. Yeah. The hits are funny. The jokes are funny. I'm going Waterboy. It's funny. It's a funny movie. It's a uh, Adam Sandler, uh, one of our underrated sports actors. Absolutely, and he That's, always works yeah. like basketball scenes into his movies, and yeah. you know the the t-shirts, a zillion sports t-shirts, and uncut gems. Uncut gems. Uncut gems is basically a sports movie. Yeah, basically he's got uh, you know he gets Garnett yeah. in there. I know it was supposed to be I think Amari Stoudemire. Um, yeah. first and then he's got all of his movies work around these cool basketball scenes and, and baseball scenes and um, he's the most regular dude who made it so that's why we love yeah. him alright uh, well thank you very much for being on the show John I really appreciate it the name of the book again 1996 a biography uh, reliving the legend packed dynasty stacked most iconic sports year ever it, the, the, the book is not all about movies you should if you if you uh, remember that great sports year you should definitely check it out because there's there's a lot of really interesting uh, stuff in there from the Olympics to uh, to rock Jordan's and stone cold yeah. the rock rock and stone cold I, we haven't even talked wrestling uh, who's the who's the best wrestling actor go best wrestling actor man it's probably the it's probably the rock right now Probably The Rock, probably The Rock, but Thunderlips, uh, aka Hulk Hogan. You know, we don't want to. Well, really you know, fun. Hogan has, and I'm blanking on the name of the movie. He did his own movie where it was him against Tiny Lister. Remember that movie? 
uh, where he basically yeah. plays a version of himself. I'm killing myself for not remembering it. Yeah. He plays Hogan. Rock has moved beyond like just playing a wrestler, dude. He's figured it all out. Now we have John Cena in the new Fast and Furious. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. My kids love this stupid fight. John, well, John Cena's tried to make the leap into action comedy yeah. uh, and, and has done it a little better than I think The Rock, who's a, his, who's a more pure action star. Yeah. Um, but Cena's in the, he's in the new Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, he was on, he was in that Amy Schumer movie. He was Train funny Rack, very in that funny movie. In that. Yeah, I think yeah. he's good. He did a, he did a kid's movie where he plays a firefighter, the, the fire down below or fire above. That was the heavy long. Yeah. Movie. Anyway, it was I good. Know. It was passable. Like it was okay. Yeah. It was, he was fine. In it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, buy the book. It's on Amazon now. It's out now. Out two, It was out two days ago. Go pick it up uh, and and read all about the year of 1996 in sports and sports movies. Um, I, I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, we will be back week. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.